Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Oh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Church can be fun. You know that? It doesn't have to be boring and stale and religious and, you know, predictable. Church is, it's okay if we have fun at church. I'm just letting you know that. Y'all better get ready. We're about to have a whole lot of fun in the house of God. And then we're going to take it with us. Amen. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. I'm going to read out of the New King James. And um, we'll, we'll look at a few different thoughts here and see where the Lord leads us. Then he spoke a parable to them. And this is, was, this is the goal, the point he's trying to get across, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Everyone say, not lose heart. Not lose heart. You ever prayed but lost heart? You ever prayed but felt like it was empty? You ever prayed but felt like, is there anyone on the other end? You ever prayed and felt like you're losing? Lose heart means to lose the urgency, the intentionality, or the passion behind prayer. This is kind of kind of a recurring thing that we've kind of been in for the last several weeks about this idea of passion and urgency and intentionality in life right now. I believe that it's crucial for the people of God to be passionate about living for God right now and be passionate about the mission and the plan and the agenda that God has in the earth. I have a prophecy that I'm going to, a video that I'm going to share with y'all on Sunday um, that's going to rein all this in. It was a prophecy that's almost 40 years old, but is, is, I mean, it was as if the man of God came to 2021, saw what was happening and said, I got to let people know in 1987 what's coming. I mean, it's going to be so relevant. It's going to be dropped on you and it's just going to be like, but the urgency and the intentionality and the, the drive behind life, we, ha- we cannot lose heart in these last days. We cannot lose heart. And he says in verse 2, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Sound like anybody you know today? And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man. Yet, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, here it is, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And I want you to see this verse in the Amplified, verse 8. It reads this way, I tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? This kind of persistent faith on the earth. 
persistent faith, a qualified faith. There's a specific kind of faith. When Jesus returns in the earth, he's going to be looking for a specific kind of faith. He's going to be looking for people, for his people, believers, that are persistent in their faith. To define this word persistent, it means this. It means continuing firmly in a course of action. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of opposition, obstacles, or discouragement. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of opposition, obstacles, or discouragement. It goes on to mean lasting or enduring. Lasting or enduring. That's what this word persistent means. And apparently Jesus believes this will be a rare form of faith in the last days. Now, when I think of persistence and endurance, and uh, we, 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 and based on this story, a continual uh, 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 pressing, a continual persistence to the point where the judge says, lest she wear, wear me out, lest she wear me out. Here's the thing. In the earth today, I think the word persistent can be applied to our enemy more than it can be to the church. Here's what I know. I know the devil right now is persistent. The Bible says that he knows that his day is drawing nigh, drawing to a close. And you know, when you get to the close of something, when you get to the end of something, that's where urgency starts to show up. That's where you start to realize I'm running out of time, so we got to start taking care of the important stuff. We got to get serious about this. And what we're seeing in the, the day today, as Dr. Gee put it, darkness devastates. Darkness is devastating right now. Dark, darkness is all around us. And the darkness is devastating because the enemy's becoming more and more persistent. He is becoming uh, more and more firm in his course of action in spite of opposition, obstacles, or discouragement. What would it look like if the church even matched the enemy's level of persistence today? What would it look like if we remained as dogmatic as he is? What if we went after the children the way he goes after the children? Come on. What if we introduced righteousness the way he introduces unrighteousness as early on as he does? What if we were as serious about government and education and society and, 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 and all the entities of our world rather than just having our little church services and our little circles and our little Bible studies and our little groups? What if we were as interested and persistent in taking our message through the world as he is in getting his message into the world? So, this, this, this measure of persistence, Jesus is identifying, this is going to be a rare breed. 
in the last days. This is going to be a rare group of people, not just having faith, but persistent in the face of opposition. I mean, think about these words right now. Opposition, obstacles, or discouragement. We do not have a lack or shortage of any of those right now. There might be a shortage of gas and toilet paper, but we do not have a shortage of opposition, obstacles, and discouragement in the world today, do we? You can find it any you don't have to find you don't have to look very far. You don't have to look very hard. It's right around you. If you want to find opposition, it's at your door. You want obstacles, it's at your work. You want discouragement, it's uh, it's on your phone. I mean, you, you have to press to find encouragement, support. You have to press to find people that are on your side, not against you. Am I right? Because we're creating division. We're, we're not even okay with the level of division that we have in our world. We have to create more division. It's a doctor that wants to keep you sick so you return. Job security, repeat customers. Come on. But we, the church, ought to be identified by persistent faith, Jesus says. And he has, he's asking the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find this kind of faith? Even in the message translation, it reads, but how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? How rare is this faith? How does Jesus like his faith? He likes it rare. He likes a faith that can't just be found anywhere. Jesus wants a faith that not just everybody carries. Jesus is looking for us to have a faith, a persistence, an endurance that doesn't just come to the status quo and to the comfortable and to the convenient. He's talking about a crowd, a group of people that apparently are going to find themselves in the minority, not the majority, in the church. If you look at Jude chapter 1, Jude chapter 1, I'm going to read this out of the message translation, so it'll be on the screen behind me, beginning with verse 3. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, no, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. Look at these words. Fight with everything you have within you. You know where this book, Jude, is located? At the end of the Bible. It's the next to the last book. What's that tell me? The closer I get to the end, the more urgency I need to have. The more persistence, the more endurance, the more drive, the more intentionality I should be displaying in my life. And are we not closer to the end than we've ever been? What has happened is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license, which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only 
master. He says that there's going to be a group, not from the world, not from the outside, but right within our own company, right within our own ranks, that will try to cause us to live a lower level than what God has called us to live to. Called, that will try to get us to buy into a, a cheaper, a, a, a level of Christianity that doesn't demand as much expense. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to get someone to buy something by highlighting the benefit over the cost? Every time. You want someone to buy something, especially, you know, if it's, uh, you know, it's dangerous when we value benefits over cost. The rich young ruler, I'll give you an example, rich young ruler, he, he valued benefit over the cost that it was going to take. What, what Was he incorrect in wanting to be a part of the kingdom of God? What must I do to enter the kingdom of God? What must I do? In essence, what he's asking is to be a part of your mission, to be a part of your cause. We, we saw several individuals that approached Jesus about this a few weeks ago. And Jesus was almost turning them away, right? Because he was recognizing if you come in for the benefit, you'll leave for the cost. If you come in for what you can get, you'll leave when you realize there's something I got to give. And so he says, there's going to be a group of people that are going to try to sell you on a dumbed down version of Christianity. And it will not produce the same results as what we're, you are going to have to fight with all you have. It's going to require all that you have. All that God is asking is all that you have. <laughs> so I tell my, 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 my baseball kids, all I'm asking for the next hour and a half is all you got. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do anything you can't do. I'm not asking you to do anything beyond your ability, but I am asking you to do everything within your ability. And it's exactly what God's asking of us today. But when we sell ourselves short and we cheapen the price, then we end up in a category we don't have persistent faith, enduring faith, long-lasting faith that stands in the face of opposition, obstacles, and discouragement. I want a faith that stands in the midst of opposition, obstacles, and discouragement. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want to show you a story. A lot of us are familiar with this story. I want to try to apply some of these principles that we're, we're talking about. Try to show you them in practice and application in the Word so that you can put them in practice and application in your life. Amen? Mark chapter 5, verse 21, reading from the New King James. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat. By the way, I love hearing the pages turning. I just, I love that. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. Thank you. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea. Think about that. A great multitude. Gathering to Jesus. You know, Jesus, he was a multitude gathering Jesus. He knew how to draw a crowd. But the question is, is why are they coming? You know, at one point they came saying, you know, master, give us a sign. And he said, this generation, 
What am I going to do with these people? All they want is a sign. They don't want anything lasting. They don't want anything demanding of them. They just want to see another sign, do another trick, do another miracle, do another wonder. You know, heal, heal this and set free this and deliver that and, and walk on this and curse that. And, 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 and at some point, Jesus began to dwindle his ministry down to the few that weren't just gathering for show entertainment. You think we're trying? You think that the church today is trying to, uh, you know, going after entertainment? They were doing it with Jesus then. They thought all he was was just a showman. They thought all he was was just someone that could do all these signs and wonders and just draw a crowd everywhere he goes. And eventually, he had to say, "Look, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't have any part of me." He'd say things like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And that was a line in the sand. That was a, we'll find out who's serious about this real quick. And then he looked at his own disciples and said, well, you going to go too? No, oh, you got the words of life, man. We ain't going anywhere. But people were following. A great multitude gathered. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and look at this, begged him earnestly. Begged him earnestly, right? There's an urgency there. there there's, a, there's a demand there. There's a, Jesus, you have to come. And, of course, we know uh, that his daughter is sick at home, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, just something interesting to note, it states that he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was part of the group that ultimately crucified Jesus. There's other instances where uh, they, these Pharisees, Sadducees, these rulers, of this, these religious people uh, attacked Jesus for healing people and doing signs and wonders healing on the Sabbath and, and doing this and, you know, what right do you have uh, to, to forgive sins and heal and, 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 and who do you think you are, uh, you know, uh, who sinned, uh, this person. or I mean, they were just, all, just so ridiculing and just trying to find fault. But it's amazing when you have a need. All of a sudden, the thing that you were making fun of, now you're making a demand of. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he might have been one of the ones saying, who do you think you are healing on the Sabbath? But then when he has a need, we all get to a point where you are going to need what Jesus has. We might as well, the quicker we can recognize that, the quicker we can see that, the, the world, they may mock us, make fun of us, ridicule us, you know, a, a, a popular word that came out about this time last year was the word essential. Y'all remember that? And all of a sudden, we are categorizing everything in life. Is it essential that I go to Publix? Is it essential that I go to Taco Bell? Is it essential that I have to have my Starbucks every morning? Is it essential that the church is operational? Is it, is it just all of a sudden, we are going in life and we're knocking off things. Nope, non-essential. Don't need it. Well, when you need it, you need it. Am I right? When you need it, you need it. 
They, he might have said Jesus doing miracles wasn't essential, but when his daughter is laying at the point of death, guess what? Jesus is essential all of a sudden. Healing and miracles. I need that signs and wonders stuff I was, I was mocking you about yesterday. I need it today. We're all going to get to a point. The Bible says we're all, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it on your own, by your own choice, or you can do it by force. It's up to you which one you choose. But you will say, Jesus, you are essential. You can disregard it as long as you want, but you will make your life a whole lot simpler if you just go ahead and acknowledge it now. You're the Lord of my life. It says he begged him earnestly. I think it's a good check on the inside. What is it that creates urgency in our lives? You know, because lack and need, it, it has a powerful way of showing us what is really important. It Doesn't it? One of those you don't know you need it until you don't have it type thought processes. Then realize how much you relied on it until it's taken away. Lack has a funny thing to do, a funny way of doing that. Need has an interesting way of doing that. I mean, I've heard testimonies of people that, you know, they, 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 they refuse to believe in the divine healing power of the Scripture and that it's still available and evident today and that we as believers are called to live by the Great Commission to lay hands on the sick. And I, I've heard people, oh, there's no way. But guess what? When they get a, a report of cancer in their body, guess who they're looking for? That one person at work in the cubicle that kept talking about that crazy healing stuff and the healing revival and said that they could pray for me. That's who they, I, they don't even believe it, but they are looking for them. Y'all with me? When you need it, you need it. But what is it that drives us to this urgency? What if we just live with that level of urgency? What if we just live with that, in, that level of intentionality and it wasn't lack and challenge and, and circumstances that drove us to our knees or drove us to be in the word or drove us to be at church? Drove us to, to be in the right company. What if we just made those decisions beforehand? But he's at a point of need now. He's at a point of need now. And Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him, it says. Thronged him. One translation says they pressed up against him. That, that, that's, that's the level of got to follow Jesus, got to be with him. But they didn't have the same desire to follow Jesus that his disciples had. This is a different pressing. This is a different thronging. This is, I got to be there to see the show. I don't want to miss I don't want to miss out. But we're going to learn they weren't all there to get something. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This is a predicament. I've tried every natural resource possible. I've tried everything out there. I've ran up all the credit cards. I've gone to all the doctors. I've tried all the relationships. I've tried doing this and that practice and believing that and going after. I've done all the natural things I know to do. I'm out of options. I'm out of options. So now she says, 
when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So she had to not just join the crowd. She had to press through the crowd. You see the difference? She's just not getting, she's, she's not satisfied with just being in the vicinity. She's not satisfied with just being near. She's not just satisfied as being part of the thronging group, the pressed up against him group. She says, I've got to persistently push through all the obstacles, all the discouragement. I mean, she, she's already pressed through stuff in her mind before she's ever pressed through stuff in this crowd. I mean, by Levitical law, because of her condition, she's not even supposed to be in the company of other people, much less pressing through a company of other people. So she's already had to overcome stuff in her mind and become persistent. See, if you don't ever become persistent in your thinking, you'll never become persistent in your living, in your acting in your outward. If we're not persistent internally, you'll never be persistent externally. You won't overcome external conditions if you don't first overcome the internal conditions. And this is the kind of drive that Jesus is calling us to have. In the last days, will I find persistent faith in the earth? Oh, you're going to have plenty of obstacles naturally. You're going to have plenty of challenges physically in the world. We're in the world, but not of it. He said, you know, there will be trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. Where are you being of good cheer at? In your heart? He's not talking about walk around the world with a smile on your face. He's talking about on the inside, come to the conclusion, you win. Come to the conclusion, I overcome. Come to the conclusion, I will see a victory. Come to the conclusion, this is not my battle, it's the Lord's. Come to the conclusion, I'm just going to remain steadfast. That's what he's saying. You've got to come to the conclusion on the inside before you ever face it on the outside. Come to the conclusion, inside. When we're talking about I'm going to see a victory, we're not just calling it out, I'm going to see it with my natural eyes. We're saying, I choose to see a victory with my spiritual eyes before I see it with my natural eyes. I got to see the victory on the inside. I mean, whatever obstacle, whatever challenge, whatever you're up against right now, maybe you know someone that's up against something, you've got to move them by faith to see it before they see it. You got to see it inside before you see it outside. And so she's already pressed and become persistent on the inside. She's had to overcome ridicule. She's had to overcome, I'm out of all resource. She's had to overcome uh, religious barriers. She heard about Jesus, came behind in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And here she shows us the difference between pressing and persisting. She shows us the difference between pressing and persisting. See, the crowd, they were just pressing on the outside. But she chose to persist 
on the inside. She said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch his clothes, what did she do? She came to the conclusion before she even acted. You see what she did? By faith, by persistent faith, the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for when he comes back into the earth, when he returns to the earth, he's looking for people that will come to the conclusion, if I do this, then this will happen. I tell you, there's an attack on that today. There's an attack on persistent faith today. And and I I don't know any other word to to use than the word boldness. You're just going to have to have the boldness to have persistent faith to stand on what you believe the promise of God is in the face of obstacles, opposition, and discouragement. It's going to be there. You're just going to have to choose on the inside. Whatever comes, where let the chips fall where they may. I'm standing my ground. I'm not taking a step back. I'm not bucking. I'm not giving in. I'm not laying my guard down. I'm remaining with the word of God. If I heard that Jesus was in town, I believe if I just touch, I'm going to say it vocally with my mouth to myself. I don't care what anybody else thinks. We've got to go from pressing to persisting. Not just being in the area hoping we catch something, but being so persistent that I'm going to get there to him if he never makes it to me. And this is even a different level of urgency. See, see, Jairus' urgency is not built on faith, it's built on fear. See, this is why I asked you, what, what, what's your urgency? What's driving you to urgency right now? Why were there such an urgency last week for everybody to get gas on Monday night at 9 o'clock at night? I mean, I'm asking seriously, what was the urgency? Was it faith? No. It's fear. Fear drives. Fear can, can, can produce results in our lives to urgency. But it's going to leave you dry and empty every time. It'll leave you dry and empty every time. I see people urgent today about the wrong stuff, caring about the wrong stuff, fighting about the wrong stuff, choosing the wrong stuff, worried about the wrong stuff. Don't we see it? At the end of the day, it's stuff that's trivial, stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that, 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 that there are so many more important things in life. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the enemy to tell us what is urgent rather than the word. So Jairus is moved by urgency. Uh, 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 what did it say? Begging earnestly. Was that the words? Verse 23, begged him earnestly, but his urgency, his earnestly, his persistence here is not driven by faith, it's driven by fear, and we learn this later on. Hers, on the other hand, her urgency is driven by faith. She said, if I just touch, and you know what's crazy? There wasn't even any precedent-setting event for that. I mean, that's the kind of faith I'm talking about. Faith, I haven't even seen this in operation. I I don't even have a template to go off of. But I just believe if I touch the man of God's clothes, it'll get on me and it'll cure me of what's going on in my body. The day is here 
we are going to display a faith that has no template. We're going to display a faith that you won't be able to find an example of it, but we're going to believe God to do some of the craziest stuff this world's ever seen, and he's going to get all the glory. I believe that we're going to see that. I don't need a template. She said, if I touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself, here it is, that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd, in the crowd, in the group, right? And what does he say? Who touched my clothes? Now, this woman didn't do anything different on the outside than anybody else was doing. She did something different on the inside. Right? She came to a conclusion on the inside. If I just touch, nobody else in that crowd. Nobody else in that crowd. Even though they had the same accessibility. They had the same opportunity. Guys, we're not going to have some special access to heaven that no one else does. We're just going to be the ones that choose to make a demand on it. We're going to be the ones that choose to make a draw on it. We're going to be, if nobody else is going to pull on the power of God, we are. If nobody else is going to believe God to do this, we are. If nobody else is going to stand firmly in faith, we are. If no one else is going to be persistent, we are. She said, I don't care what everybody else is here for. If I touch his clothes. And his disciples in verse 31 said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, touching you, pressing up against you. Right? Because what did they immediately do? They categorized it as, well, everybody's doing that. They categorized it as, I mean, if that's all it takes, then we should have a whole bunch of healed people standing around you right now. It wasn't the pressing, it was the persisting. Remember, she's the minority. In a crowd, we got one drawing the power of God. In a crowd, in a multitude, in a group. There's a minority that's going to stand out. There's a remnant that's going to remain. There's a group that's going to be standing in the last days, and we're going to be the ones with the persistent face saying, uh, we touched, but we drew. We're persistent, urgent, intentional. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, here it is, your faith. Everyone say your faith. Say your faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Why, did he, why didn't he say, daughter, my power has made you well. Isn't that amazing? See, the power was always available. The power was already there. 
Jesus didn't have to, okay, let me get my power going. Let, let, me, let, me, let me work it up. No, it was there. But unless somebody tapped into it, connected to it, drew on it, Are you telling me in these last days that that the untapped power or or, or the the, uh, never-ending power of God is going to go untapped by people who simply need to connect, draw, receive? How do you draw and receive that kind of power? Persistent faith. Urgent faith. Yeah. Yeah. He qualified it. He qualified the faith. Persistent. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It was her faith. It was her persistent faith that made a demand on the power of God. And he could do, he he had no other option but to relinquish and release that power into her body that healed her body in that moment. Because if we will have the persistent faith, he will respond to that every time. Now look at this, continuing on in verse 35. While he was still speaking, Who's he? Jesus. While Jesus is still directing his attention to this woman, still speaking to her about the power she just received, the healing she just received, and it was your faith that tapped into and connected to the power that was upon me. While he's still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Again, Jairus is begging earnestly. Time is of the essence. We need to go to my house. I need you to come and lay hands on my daughter. Right? He's moved urgency. Earnestly begging, earnestly asking. So, you know, he's probably like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're getting your miracle. That's awesome. But we got business to do. My daughter's dying. His daughter's 12 years old. This woman's had the affliction for 12 years. As long as she's been sick, as long as this girl's been alive. So she's thinking, he's thinking, we got to go. We got to move. Because he said, He said, I need you to come and lay hands on my daughter that she will be made whole, that she will be made well. So his belief system is, if we can get there before she dies, we can save her. This is why you have to locate people's faith. You have to know what level are you believing on? What level are you believing at? Because you can't believe beyond your revelation. You cannot... uh, uh, Be established at a level of faith beyond what you believe God can do. He simply believes if you get there before she dies, I believe you can heal her. And again, he's moved more by fear than he is by faith. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Here it is. Why trouble the teacher any further? I want to read this to you out of the Passion. I don't think I gave it to you guys, but you could just listen. Or if you have a digital device, you can pull it up on there. But in the Passion, it reads this way. And before he had finished speaking, 
people arrived from Jairus' house and pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. That's the complete opposite of persistence. But the one displaying the persistence is the messenger relaying the message, your daughter has died. You don't need to remain persistent anymore. And this is what the enemy's doing in these last days. They are being persistent with getting you the bad news. They're being persistent with telling you how bad it is. They're being persistent with their division. They're being persistent with their animosity. They're being persistent with their hatred. And they're telling us, the church, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. Don't bother God with it anymore. Oh, that's just what the enemy wants you to think. That's exactly what the enemy, and listen to how persistent. Tell me they're not persistent. They have found their way. They have weaveled their way into every outlet, into every, every way possible. This is why you have to guard your hearts, guard your eyes, guard your ears. Don't just lend yourself to this garbage because the enemy's being persistent. And it's wearing you down. Because the goal of persistence is to wear down the opposition. What did Jesus, what did did the word tell us in Ephesians? When you've done all to stand, stand. Remain steadfast. Really, Really all we're trying to do, if I could just boil it down and make it this simple for us as believers in the kingdom of God today. Our job is to withstand and outlast our enemy. That's really all we're here to do. Be the last one standing. The last man standing. Who's going to break first? And we are going to be the church that's not going to break. We are going to be the church that's not going to bend. We are going to be the church that's going to remain persistent, steadfast, against opposition, against obstacles, and against discouragement. But now, just as this woman with the issue of blood had to remain persistent in pressing through the crowd, now the enemy is displaying that same level of persistence in Jairus' condition. Watch what Jesus responds and says to him. Still in the, in the Passion, he says, but Jesus refused to listen. Are you seeing this? Jesus is displaying to you what we need to be doing right now in this day and age. He refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, here it is, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. Remain persistent in believing. Endure in your believing. Keep on believing. Don't give in to opposition. Don't give in to obstacles. Don't give in to discouragement. The enemy's going to try to come as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to try to break your persistence. He's going to try to break your ability to stand. He's going to try to break your ability to withstand and outlast him. And if this is not a word for 2021, I don't know what is. Don't yield to fear. I mean, this needs to go on your refrigerator, on your bumper sticker, in your dash, your cubicle, on your computer screen. I mean, this verse right here. Don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. 
you know, Jairus doesn't even realize that what, what might have seemed like an interruption with the woman coming and touching his clothes and then disrupting Jesus on the way to, to his house so he could heal his daughter before she dies. That was his level of faith. He doesn't even realize that that was actually a template for him. If she could be that persistent, I can be that persistent. If she could be that intrusive, intentional, if she could be that urgent, then I can. And Jesus says, do not yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. Are you going to let the enemy be more persistent than you? Are you in these last days going to let your enemy outlast you in believing that an end, a certain end, is going to come? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Verse 36 in the New King James. Verse 37, watch this. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I'll tell you right now, if you're going to be in, in the persistent faith category, you better get really good at cutting and eliminating. I'm serious. It's not being mean. It's not being judgmental. It's not being higher holy than, holier than. It is removing things that are going to compromise your persistence. If you ever notice, people that are persistent or people that want to endure in something, people that get serious about getting to a goal, they, they become very intentional. They become very deliberate, and they become very targeted to where I'm not going to allow distractions because distractions break persistence. So he said, give me Peter, James, and John. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40, here it is. And they ridiculed him. Talk about persistence. This is the man of God. This is Jesus, the son of God. This is the man that's been doing all kinds of signs and wonders. And I'm telling you, if Jesus had those that ridiculed and mocked and didn't believe in him, so will you. When you stand and you become persistent, you're going to find yourself in the ridiculed category. You're going to find yourself in the made fun of category, the outcast category, the crazy category. What are you going to do about it? They ridiculed him. The very next statement, and when he had put them all outside. Man, I love that. He said, okay, that's where you're at. You don't need to be here. You're dismissed. Give me people of faith. Give me people that aren't going to, I mean, look, you can be as faith-filled all you want, but if you keep surrounding yourself by fearful people, you're going to pretty soon find yourself in their category. They're not going to find themselves in your category. You're going to have to be very intentional in these last days. The circle you keep, the stuff you listen to. He put them outside, eliminate it, get rid of it, let it go. 
He took the father and mother of the child, those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. We have to be bold enough to outlast our enemy in these last days. The persistent faith that Jesus, when he returns, he's asking, will I find that kind of faith, that measure of faith, that quality of faith? Not a faith that stands for a little while but is easily broken. Not a faith that believes as long as everything goes my way. Not a faith that can uh, uh, handle little challenges. No, we're talking about a great faith, a persistent faith that endures all opposition, all obstacles, and all discouragement. Here's what I know. If he's coming back looking for it, then it must be possible to put on display. It must be possible. And I don't know about you, I just want to be in the group, that, he, that when, I, when he says, well, I find that faith, I can stand and say, it's right here. You found it. That's me. Persistently believing. Persistently standing. Come on, I know some of us in this room, we've stood uh, against some stuff, stood for some stuff for a long time. How persistent is your faith? I get asked all the time, Pastor Mar, how long do I stand in faith? Until you get the result you're believing for. That's the only alternative. I had y'all say it when y'all were sitting down. Defeat is not an option. Less is not an option. Lack is not an option. Addiction is not an option. Sickness is not an option. Breakthrough is our only option. Victory is our only option. That's the only thing we're believing for that we're going to see. Overcoming in these last days. A faith that overcomes the world. Persistent. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.